Now, we're going to take really a short time. <laughs> we'll take a, a, a short time. But let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We're reading this week from a, a Torah portion called Balak. Can you say that with me? Balak. That is the name of a key figure in uh, this week's reading and also in the, the continuing saga that goes on for several weeks. And it's, it's the name of a king, a king of Moab, who considers Israel an enemy and a threat and is committed to destroying Israel. He hires a prophet, Balaam, or as we say in the South, Balaam, <laughs> to curse Israel so that Israel would be weakened so that he could defeat Israel in battle. And we'll read over these next few weeks the, the story which occurs over a period of time. And this is an interesting fact. The, the Bible wants to teach us something about life and challenge. And one of the teachings that's embedded in this series of readings is this, that you don't know everything all at once. And you don't even know the whole story when you're in the middle of things. You may think you do, but you don't. Once, in order to teach this message and an allied message around false prophets, which is connected to these readings, I was invited to teach a group of Christian leaders about um, something, and it, it was, this was the time to teach about Balaam and Balaam. And so I did something because I wanted to make the message unforgettable. And, and it was. But it wasn't really fair. I mean, it wasn't fair at all. Because what I did is I, I took scriptures that spoke about Balaam, and some speak about him praying to God and hearing from the Lord and meeting with the Lord, and some talk about God's anger with him. And there are others that in, in the prophetic scriptures of the Hebrew Bible and the writings of the apostles that make it absolutely clear that Balaam was a false prophet. So I divided those scriptures up into two sections, the, the ones that speak well of him, and then the ones that don't. And, and I divided the room up into two sides. I didn't tell them this. And I gave one side only the scriptures that spoke well of Balaam, and I gave the other side only the scriptures that spoke negatively of him. I didn't tell them that. And I asked them to read the scriptures, and after they did, to discuss it among themselves and to answer this question, was Balaam a good prophet or a bad prophet? It was not a fun situation. <laughs> the side that got the good, the good scriptures, every one of the table spokesmen said he was a man of god he met with god he heard from god and he was a good prophet 
The other side in horror, you know, is making faces at these guys, grimacing, you know, shaking their head, no, no. And then when it was their turn, they all stood up one at a time and said, he was a bad man and a false prophet. And so it was, no, he was good. No, he was bad. And that's when I told them the rest of the story. Because part of the lesson was, you can't rush to judgments about difficult things until you know the whole story. And you may think you know the whole story and you don't. And you may think you have all the information and you don't. And that's a lesson that's embedded in this series. And for that reason, I want you, I want to encourage you to take time to read these, um, these passages very carefully and to read them thoroughly as well so that you get the whole picture and to read the related scriptures and the prophets and the New Covenant writings as well so that you get a full picture of everything and to stick with it until the very end because what you will find is that both Balak and Balaam try to curse Israel, they are not successful, but they don't give up. And ultimately, Balaam comes up with another plan to defeat Israel that has to do with seduction and idolatry. But you don't find that out until much, much later. So if you're one of those people that likes pithy proof texts and you like to use only one, uh, you may put yourself in danger when you're reading this because you may find only one verse that supports a wrong idea. And I want to encourage you, stick with it. Read for yourself so that you can come to the right conclusions or at least to have the right observations about it. Balak is committed to one thing, and that is the destruction and defeat of Israel. It is fitting because his name, Balak, means destroyer. And another way of translating his name is devastator. It sounds like you know, he's from the World Wide Wrestling Federation or something. <laughs> Balak, in this corner, the devastator. That's how he was known as the devastator and the destroyer. He was motivated to defeat Israel. He had some spirituality, as did Balaam. They both had this idea that they needed a spiritual solution, but in seeking God, they show the corruption of their own spirituality and, and um, identities because they want God's power in order to accomplish things that go against the will of God. They want to take God's power and use it for ungodly purposes. It's a dangerous thing that any of us can fall into maybe in a more benign way, where we want God's power in order to accomplish our will. And we're praying so that God will say amen to us. But God is looking for people who will say amen to him. He's looking for people who will take what's in his heart and make it in their heart, who will open their hearts and their minds up to what God values and then try to accomplish it with the blessings of God and the help of God and the direction of God. There was a time the prophets tell us when the Lord laments and says, I needed an intercessor, someone to stand in the gap, and there wasn't anyone. There wasn't anyone who would stand in the gap 
between me and all the people I wanted to have mercy on and I was taking pity on who needed help, someone who would pray and someone who would act. There wasn't anyone who would do that. And to really be disciples of Yeshua, we have to get in our hearts what is in the heart of God and make his heart our heart. To learn to value what he values and to love what he loves. When we read about Balaam, it's important to understand he's a corruption. He's not purely bad, but nor is he purely good. He's a mixture. But ultimately, his love of money and his desire to sell his spirituality for evil purposes was his defeat. And because of that, he's a false prophet. Balak and Balaam did not love what God loves. They didn't value what God values. And so they had a desire to defeat Israel rather than to bless Israel, even though they had, as we read in this week's portion, they had ample warning not to curse what God has blessed. Now, when I think of this kind of spirituality, it can be uh, on the surface or outwardly impressive, but it doesn't please the Lord. Religiosity that does not express a sincere desire to please God is really empty. It's corrupt. It doesn't matter if you go through the motions. You can come to Shabbat every week. You can come twice a week because uh, Friday and Saturday. I mean, you can, you can do all sorts of things but if your heart is not right with God, if you don't desire to please him, your actions will be ineffective. The scripture puts it this way, without faith, which means without trusting God and without having a faithful response to God, it is impossible to please the Lord. Now let's say that word impossible. Impossible. And do you know what impossible means? It's not possible. It's not that there's a 50-50 chance. It's not that there's a one in 10 chance. It's impossible to please God. Those who come to him, the scriptures say, must believe that he's real and that he rewards the ones who seek him diligently and earnestly who seek him. To seek him means to get to know him, to, to, to know more about him, to study him. If you love someone, you need to know what they're like. I learned this as a young married man because there was a time when I was oblivious to important things such as, I'll give one example, color. I, as a young person, believe that you shouldn't buy depreciating assets uh, by borrowing money. So I saved up money and I, I bought my wife a car uh, for cash. And we were doing well at the time and uh, she woke up and ta-da, I have a car for her. And she needed a car. 
Now, I was so, naive is not the word, stupid is the word. <laughs> that it didn't occur to me that I would think about what color car? It, it, it did not occur to me. And Sandy, who's very gracious and very kind and generous and appreciative and expressive, um, is also very color sensitive, which I was not, which I am not. And so I gave her this car and she looked at it and I realized something's not right. It had not occurred to me to pay attention to color. How many guys can relate to this at all? Once I bought her as a gift a dishwasher. Now, it's good to buy a dishwasher. But my recommendation is do not make it a birthday present. <laughs> Friend of mine bought his wife a new set of tires for her birthday, which she needed. It didn't go over well. And you would think we would get that, but we have to learn. You have to learn about people and you have to learn about God. If you want to please God, you have to learn what is he like. What does he appreciate? What does he value? Well, I can tell you there was a time when I finally understood Sandy doesn't value surprises. She values thoughtfulness. And thoughtfulness is expressed by paying attention, etc. And that's like the Lord. The Lord is not impressed with our surprises like, guess what, Lord? Ta-da! He's impressed that we pay attention and find out what he loves, and we start loving that. That impresses him. Yeshua's disciples often argued, often argued about which one, which ones would be the most important ones and the most powerful ones and were the best disciples of all. They had constant arguments about it. And once it got ugly, uh, because two of the boys got their Jewish mother involved. And, and she said, you know, my boys are so good. Let them sit next to you. And he said, you have no idea and, and no. And then he told all of his disciples, you're thinking wrongly about leadership. It's not according to power. It's something else. And he said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, become a servant. And if you want to be the greatest, be the servant of everyone. Have their well-being as your main motivation and concern. That's how. He said that it was provocative. He had to say it again and again. It took a lot of work to build that into them. But when I think about when I think about the Lord, what does it mean to be a real disciple of the Lord? It means to, to take his values and make them our values and to take his loves and make them our loves. What he loves, we learn to love. I did learn a lesson. I got to the point when Sandy needed a car and she wanted my help in getting it and even wanted me to take a few steps I wasn't prepared to. 
I said, I'm, I'm not making the decision on this one. I'll go with you. And she said, well, you know, there are these two colors that I can't decide between. <laughs> I said, <laughs> you'll figure it out. <laughs> and sometimes it's like that with the Lord where you're not sure which way does he want to go, this way or that way. And a, a humble approach is, well, Lord, you'll figure it out. And when you do, let me know. And you may not know in your spirit this way or that way. That's why when, when I needed prayer for my eyes, I was encouraging people, pray for healing. Just an outright, absolute healing. A miracle of healing. Because I'm happy for that. But even though that hasn't happened and I need surgery, it's not a crisis of faith for me because I'm still trusting the Lord and I'm still thankful to the Lord. And last night I had confirmation because I shared some of these things. And wouldn't you know, we had first time visitors sitting on the front row, a Jewish couple that had asked to come last night with Walter Boot, who, who brought them a friend of theirs, who had asked to come. And the woman had the same problem I have. And not only that, she said, who's your doctor? And I told her, and she said, well, that's my doctor. The odds of that are, are minuscule. You know what it told me? Something that I told her. I think the Lord brought you here tonight. Not just for me, but for you. This is the right time to be here. And I hope we have additional time together to talk about the Lord. But I can tell you this. I, I have stress, like anyone does, thinking about needles stuck getting in your eye. But it's not a crisis for me. It's not a crisis of faith. It's not like, God, where are you? I know where God is. He's ruling on the throne. He's in charge. He's rescuing me. And he can rescue me this way or that way. He can do it without doctors. He can do it with prayer and doctors. And he can do it just with doctors. And I'm good with all of it. So I've, I've learned God is still the Lord. I'm not going to boss him around and say, this is the way to do it. Let him be in charge. And that gives me peace, and it gives me courage to go on, but I, I don't have a crisis of faith. So I'm like, I prayed a lot. Why didn't you do what I wanted? I'm not going through that. And I want to encourage you, if you set your heart on doing the will of God and being a God pleaser and getting approval from God and not from people, you won't worry about life's challenges. You'll go through them. And you'll know this, God is real and that he does reward you when you're seeking him and that he does promise to be Emmanuel, God with you. And I know for sure he is. So I want to encourage you, be strong in the Lord. Don't be a Balaam or a Balak. 
but be something else altogether, a disciple of Yeshua who wants to please the Lord and draws close to the Lord and is not befuddled and doesn't have a crisis of faith simply because of the bumps in life and the challenges of life. The Lord is with you. He'll walk with you through it all, and he'll get you to the other side. And, and one last word, and this is a word that surprised me. A friend of mine is a rabbi in California, and uh, someone said that, he asked him, you know, are you having a good day? He, and the guy said, every day I'm above ground is a great day. It's something I've said before. And uh, this rabbi said, actually, it would be better. And it took me aback. But he was talking about resurrection life and being with the Lord and graduating from this life into eternal life. And he said, that's going to be so great. But it jarred me. But it helped me at the same time. You see, God is walking with us now and he will stay with us to the end, and he will raise us from the dead, and it is gonna be even better, not worse, when we're on the other side of this. So keep strong, keep seeking the Lord, and keep pleasing God, and it will go well with you. We're gonna close now with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom.